From the Museum of Science, Boston, this is Pulsar, a podcast where we answer questions from you, our audience. I'm your host, Eric O'Day. My guest today is Harvey Leonard, the chief meteorologist for WCVB's Storm Team 5. Harvey has been forecasting the weather in New England for over 40 years. Harvey, thanks so much for joining us on Pulsar. Eric, it is my pleasure indeed. So why don't we start with your background? What did you study in school and how did you become a meteorologist? Well, I have degrees in meteorology, a Bachelor of Science, a Master's of Science. It's a long time ago when I went to college. I'm from New York originally. So my Bachelor of Science is from City Colleges of New York School of Engineering and Science. And then my Master's is from NYU. So a degree in meteorology, are we talking lots of math courses, lots of physics courses? Yes, it definitely is. Those are the two subjects, no question about it. In terms of the math, in college, basically, when I was in my math classes, there would be like 20 engineering majors and three meteorology majors, because engineering is more common major than meteorology. That shows you that basically uh, it is the same math that engineers use. And then the physics, the physics of the atmosphere, first you start with physics and then you get more specific toward the atmosphere. So it is math and science, math and physics. Those definitely are the main subjects for meteorology. So Kyle would like to know, what is radar and how can it show us where it's raining and what the colors mean on those maps? Well, with radar, you're basically sending out a beam of energy from the radar site. And when it intercepts raindrops or snowflakes, or in this case, it's Doppler radar, anything that's moving, it's going to send a signal back. And then basically you get into the computer technology to make the different colors represent the intensity of the precipitation, be it rain or snow. So when we're showing rain in general, if we get into the greens and blues, it would be light. We get into the yellows, oranges, reds, getting heavier and heavier and heavier. So that's generally how radar works. And radar is definitely one of the tools, very, very important to us, especially when we get into severe weather and we really need to zoom in and focus, like if we have something like a tornado, exactly where it is, because that's such an intense storm but yet in size, it's not covering many miles. So you have to really get zoomed in to really see where it is. And speaking of tornadoes, how come we don't get very many here in New England compared to other parts of the United States that get them much more often? One of the reasons is here we have the ocean to our east, the Atlantic Ocean. And even if you're, let's say, on Cape Cod or southern Rhode Island, now the ocean is to your south. So both to our south and to our east, we have the ocean. Let's talk about late spring into summer because that's the heart of tornado season. But what happens is the sun's getting higher in the sky. And so it's more direct sunlight that we're getting. So it heats us up more. So the ground, the earth is getting warmer. However, it takes more energy from the sun to heat up a body of water than it does the land. So in the spring, late spring into summer, the ocean is colder than the land. And so if we have a threat that might lead to severe weather, but we have a wind off the ocean, those severe thunderstorms might weaken as they get toward New England, especially Eastern New England, or may not be able to intensify into a tornado, where if the ocean wasn't present, it could. Now we don't always have an ocean wind. We do get tornadoes. We average about one to three per year here in Massachusetts. But in recent years, we've seen a few on Cape Cod, which is more rare. However, there's you know, arguments both ways about whether the fact of climate change, 
might be contributing to a higher frequency of certain types of weather. Tornadoes might be one for New England. Doesn't mean we're going to get the number of tornadoes they get out in the Midwest, but it could mean that our average might go up a little bit over time. So technology has changed a whole lot in 40 years. How has that affected meteorology and making forecasts? It really has. It's actually affected it in two ways. It's affected it both in terms of making a forecast as well as how we present the weather. So let's talk about making a forecast first. First of all, just computer technology and speed means that if we run a computer model, and let's say we used to run it maybe once a day, we might be able to run it four times a day now because of computer processing power being so much faster. So we're getting more frequent updates. But also, our weather observing network is more dense, both over land and even over the oceans. Now, it used to be that unless we got a ship report, we didn't know what was going on over the ocean, and that's 70% of our planet. But now, because of weather satellites up above, they're able to monitor through remote sensing ocean surface temperatures and things like that. So what that means is we're getting better initial data into the model. And if you don't have good data into the model before you start out in time, you're not going to do very well in terms of a forecast over time. But the better initial conditions that you can get around the planet, then all the great math and physics and great computer processing power enables us to get forecasts that are more accurate than they used to be. Now, when I started, you know, which was back in the caveman era, <laughs> I had like magnetic stick-ons, physical maps in the studio and magnetic stick-ons. And that's how I would show a cold front or a warm front or a high pressure area. Then we got into magic markers where we'd write on the boards. And I wasn't that great at that. Sometimes it would leak. It was really terrible. We got into the 1980s, we got into computer graphics and they've gotten better and better and better. And so that means the graphics that we show on the air, now we can show many more of them through the chroma key technique. There's just a green screen behind me. And so they set the cameras up so there's one color it doesn't recognize and that's green. So even though there's a green screen behind me, you can't really see it. And then what they're able to do in the control room, they have one camera focused on me and they have another button in the control room which says weather computer graphics. And so it looks like a superimposed effect where I'm standing in front of these maps, but they're really computer images that are not physically there. And then I either look straight ahead into the camera or off to the side to different monitors, and that's how I know what to point to. So our presentations have gotten much better as well as the forecast accuracy. A lot of progress has been made. So speaking about those models, Sue asks, when you're forecasting things like a hurricane, we hear about the different models and the different tracks they could take. How do you decide which one will be the most accurate and which one to get behind? That is an excellent question. Some of it is a matter of experience. There's a model that comes out of actually Great Britain, the European model. That's had a very good track record. If we go back to Hurricane Sandy a number of years ago, the one that really hit New York, Long Island, and Connecticut, New Jersey, the hardest, was certainly felt up here as well. The European model was really on to the very strange track. Normally, weather moves from west to east. This wound up going from east to west, but it picked up on it early. You make note of something like that. We also have models that are only used for tropical storms and hurricanes. So we certainly take close look at that as well, because a hurricane is like a heat engine. It's all based on warmth. Whereas the storms we get during the fall, winter, and spring are clashes of air masses. 
warm and cold air masses meeting. But hurricanes and tropical storms are different. So we have special models for just that type of weather development and weather storm. So we incorporate those as well. Finally, do you have any advice for young aspiring meteorologists? Well, yes. If it's really an interest and really a passion, I would say pursue it for sure. And ways to pursue it, some things are things that have worked for decades, and that's reading books, okay? That really does work. But there's also so much online now that you can follow. I mean, that's one of the great things that I didn't have as a kid. You can go to NOAA, National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. So it's NOAA.gov, and that will lead you to a whole bunch of things. NASA.gov will also lead you to so much both weather and weather-related and science-related. There's just so much great stuff out there. And that's what I would say, to really look into this as much as you'd like. And most likely, if it's in your blood, like it's in mine, one thing's going to lead to another. And you're going to go from one site to another site. And there's just so much, whether it's hurricanes that you're really interested in, winter storms, tornadoes, severe thunderstorms, there's so much there. And then, of course, You know, our environment and climate change is so important and it continues to be an evolving science. And I definitely encourage young people who like weather, not just weather or forecasting. If that's your cup of tea, that's fine. But remember how important our environment is and will continue to be going forward. And climate change is so crucial to the future of the planet and to the future for us and all our future generations. Well, Harvey, thank you so much for joining us here on Pulsar. Oh, it's my pleasure, Eric. If you'd like to have one of your questions answered by a visiting expert or a Museum of Science educator, you can email them to sciencequestions at mos.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Pulsar, don't forget to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or on Spotify, as well as leaving a rating or review for us. Please visit www.mos.org slash science matters to support MOS at home. That's it for this episode of Pulsar. Join us again soon.